Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. The movie is coming out uh, when again? Uh, movie uh, comes out in theaters, God willing, June 25th, and then VOD July 2nd. June 25th, July 2nd. Fantastic. Yes. Um, great, great, great in here. Uh, um, terrific. All right. Um, why don't we uh, want to start? You guys ready? It's a big, uh, big, big, uh, you know, we have to put on our game face now. And Yeah, we, uh, ch- we change our voices and everything. <laughs> everybody shifts an octave do you want me for posterity to clap so you have this thing because i'll send it to you anyhow judy or whoever if you want to sure you might as well go ahead and do, do that on the off chance your your audio screws up it'll be nice to have that but but it should be fine okay heaven fantastic joe do you want to why don't we all clap we can all there's a clap there I, yeah not, not even roll yes okay <laughs> This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Well, we're, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're very excited. We've got um, this is an exciting double double-sized episode uh, i can't believe it celebrating a new movie um werewolves within which is uh probably a terrible thing to say about what is ostensibly a horror film a delightful and charming film uh we've got the uh director josh rubin here with us um, and i think it's the first picture with werewolves as the, as the first word in the title since werewolves on wheels is that that's true? right is that true yes <laughs> When you type it in on IMDb, uh, they get the priority, which is, you know, it's a nightmare, but um, happy to be here. Uh, yeah, no, it's like the film, the film came out in theaters a couple of days ago and uh, we'll be out on VOD next week. Um, highly, highly recommended. Honestly, honestly, I mean, look, if you can see anything in a theater these days, go, go do it. Um, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I actually, I finally went to a movie theater uh, a week or two ago and it's true. I mean, it's the opposite of unfair. I probably give a huge advantage to I, the new Guy Ritchie film. Um, and just, I don't know how, it's a delightful movie. I loved it. But I honestly don't know how awful it would have had to have been for me not to have the best time I've had in a movie theater in years. Because I was so happy to be back in a theater watching something on a big screen. Um, and uh, this, this is a film that will, um, uh, will benefit from that. You want to see it with a crowd of people who are having a good time because it is fun. Um, it's got some jumps. It's got a lot of laughs and even amazing cast, by the way. Um, that was, thank you. Yeah. It was kind of a cross pollination of, you know, genre actors, indie folks, theater folks, TV people we know and love and, uh, and a friend too. I knew since we were going to be in the middle of nowhere, Fleischman's New York, that at least I would have George Basil to hug at the end of a long, cold day. Um, and, uh, part of the casting process was also asking people like Harvey Guillen and George, Hey, who do you want to play your, you know, husband, wife, spouse, uh, fellow junkie. And then they were able to pick a friend essentially. And we were, we made an offer. Ubisoft made it quite easy. So Fantastic. everybody had a buddy in the middle of nowhere. 
That's great. That's great. Um, well, it's a, it's a very fun film, and uh, we're we're psyched to have you with us to talk about some of the movies that have inspired you. Thank you. It's it's a it's a damn thrill to be here. And Mr. Dante, I apologize in advance that one of the movies that made me happens to be one of yours. I'm sure you're used to it, but I it was very offended. I'm not offended, honestly. It upsets him. He's going to storm <laughs> off in a huff. He, uh, <laughs> he's a real diva about that. Stuff. As long as it's not trapped ashes. <laughs> no, not trapped ashes. Um, I uh, no, I I uh, I I mean, you know, they were all formative to me. But um, you know, uh, the Burbs had something quite cosmic going on because I grew up, uh, you know, on Bonnie Dale Drive in Potomac, Maryland, and it looked exactly like our road cul-de-sac and all. And we had painters who looked like Corey Feldman and neighbors who were similar to you know Bruce Dern. So it um it hit me on on many many levels. And I think it was my gateway horror actually, not to ju- you know jump right in, but anyway, that's that's uh that's the prerequisite. Uh cool. Well, do you want to start with the burbs then? You want to talk about that or should we build up? I guess it? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh you know, I I we're talking VHS era growth here, so you know, I'd walk into the VHS the 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 store and see, you know, even as a seven, eight year old kid, what, uh, you know, what, what punchy cover there'd be. And my mom wouldn't let me get the fly. Um, so, uh, I thought I'd settle for this friendly looking fell in the bathrobe with the spatula and the lightning. And, um, I think, uh, I don't know everything from the, you know, uh, is it, is Dukaman the, the proper way to Dukeman. pronounce Rick's Dukeman. Rick Dukeman. So Rick, Rick, Rick Dukeman's, uh, the way he ate and how I just like felt the visceral French toast and, uh, <laughs> bacon and sausage, uh, and wanted that to, I, I mean, you know, Henry Gibson freaking me the hell out. And I think, I think it was Tom Hanks's nightmare. I think it was the nightmare he had with the chainsaw coming through the wall. That was my gateway. Like when I really think about it, it's him being dragged up upon a, giant grill that um lit something up in my eight-year-old brain that said this is this is what you should either do someday after you recover from the trauma um or just enjoy movies like these so um yeah that was a biggie that was integral fantastic right. so what what did you make of brother theodore at the age of eight <laughs> uh well he was terrifying um my I, I mean i remember every line out of his mouth you know, said all these performances were just so memorable you know my brother the doctor and then you know just seeing the shadow up the wall and um yeah i uh my brother was, the doctor he is yeah. it, now as it turns out he was he was almost totally deaf and wow. uh, when we would be doing rehearsals everybody would shout their lines so that he could pick up his cues and uh and it was it was it was kind of funny he was a lovely guy but it was uh it was really kind of funny how everybody had to be on their game to make sure that he you know was there uh and and he was he was great in it i can relate i did a sling commercial with dr ruth who's 90 and i she would um, not only power up with like an applesauce drink um to become alert like she'd literally take a sip and then kind of recall her lines but I had to, we literally did like a call and response and it worked great, you know, cause the client was like, can you get her to talk a little faster? And I'm like, well, she's 90 and a legend. Um, but yeah, I would yell and she'd repeat. I was like, that's a way to do it. But if you're partially deaf too, I mean, everyone's down for it. Makes for a light, yep. a light, uh, play, light room. Did they ever work together? That seems like. Who? Brother Theodore and Dr. Ruth. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to see this. He advised his life. They should have rebooted heart to heart with those guys. <laughs> that would have been amazing to see them solve crimes. Are you in the, uh, cause Joe's in every documentary ever made. 
And um, if, it's, if it's about movies, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll just be flipping through. I catch some doc about some obscure esoteric cinematic subject and there's Joe Dante. And I can never remember doing any of them. And you never, yeah. <laughs> but there's one, there's a great brother Theodore documentary, documentary called uh, To My Great Chagrin. And everybody who talks about him in it is off camera. So you're literally just, you know, if you, you're going, whose voice is that? I know because uh, uh, Harlan Ellison was in it. So I recognize camera. But are you, are you one of the voices in that, Joe? It seems like oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic doc about the great brother Theodore. Wow. But worth. Yeah. Worth that was, out. that was a, that was a killer, uh, you know, another killer cast. I mean, even, even as a kid, you can just see every sort of um, archetype come, archetype come through the screen. And then of course you had this kind of, you know, uh, uh, cosmic bookend to it with, you know, like zooming out to the planet. There was just something so um, graphic novel about it. It just felt it just, uh, it was, a, I mean, it was a live action cartoon to a degree, but it was also, you know, it was also my game, my gateway horror and the performances. And I think it was so formative to me. I think spiritually, just like some of the other movies we'll talk about, they're in my blood, which you watch again and again and again. And then it just kind of, you know, you say, pick up the pace. You ever see Tom Hanks do that thing with the, with the, you know, the bees It's kind of like that, you know, you start to have a shorthand <laughs> with your, yeah, yeah, you know, your, your actors. Um, and uh, I, I, it's definitely, definitely me. I definitely reference, you know, every movie I've brought to you guys on the daily. So. Let's go. I, I've never heard anybody say so many of all the wrong things. So when I'm amazed that Joe hasn't just walked <laughs> off in a huff. It's funny. He's live action cartoon. It's funny. You should call it a cartoon because the, that whole gimmick with the, the thing zooming into the earth and coming back in is stolen from a Bob Clampett cartoon. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I believe it. It was, it just gave, gave the thing. I don't know how else to keep, you know, keep saying cosmic. My, my, uh, I got a nine fifty on my SATs, but it gave it this, gave it this kind of, I don't know this this cosmic wonderful uh, uh, atmosphere to it. Um, maybe I'm saying that literally because I saw an Earth, but uh, it was just originality every turn. It's how I feel about you know a lot of your work and what you want to you want to make stuff that feels interesting. And it was there was something for every kind of part of my lizard brain. I think that got you know from the finding a femur in the backyard to you know the kind of colorful characters to the action. I mean. To see like nice guy Tom Hanks, even to this day, on top of Henry Gibson in like a, I think it's the only fight scene I've ever seen, maybe next to Road to Perdition. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> where I, I, I don't know. There's just something so wonderfully visceral. But I, I think I would, I think I'd probably act out his line, Citizen's Arrest, when I was an eight year old kid <laughs> in the cul de sac. Um, I'm telling you, it's, you know, quite nuanced. But uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was, uh, I think, again, it was, it was my gateway, my gateway flick. It was still, it, it is, uh, it is a horror movie. I mean, the imagery in the backyards, the, 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 the lightning, the, the sound from the, um, from the basement, you know, the, the, the mythology around it. It was, it's a, they say it's not possible or very, very hard to make a horror comedy. And that, that is so the definition. Um, you're laughing, but you're also terrified that, you know, the, the kid is, you know, whacking the shovel into the garbage, um, and uh, God knows what's in it, you know. So, what was the what was your 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 real gateway into horror movies? Real horror. It was probably, you know, Stephen King's Cat's Eye. It was probably like an anthology movie that felt like uh, felt like a cartoon, I guess, to a degree. Freddy Krueger's performance, I mean, Robert England's performance. I mean, after the first nightmare, he was a cartoon character, and my 
you know, to my macabre eight-year-old brain, um, the, the sillier he got, the more fun it was to watch, the more it lit up all sides of my, my brain. I mean, I was one of the kids that would watch, you know, the monsters show short-lived as it was with the stop motion, uh, mm. stop motion, uh, uh, intro. And there was so much gateway stuff, but I think Freddie was like a, he was like a, you know, kind of a cartoon character, dream warriors. You know, you're watching kids fire lightning out of their fingers and, me being a bullied small kid from Potomac, Maryland, you know, a little chubby, uh, was like, well, I wish I could do that. So it hit me on all, on all sides as well. That's fantastic. Um, well, let's, let's Joe, are you ready to move on from that one or shall we? Uh, I was, I was trying to get us to move on from that. I, <laughs> uh, I don't, believe I could keep going. <laughs> I don't believe you for a minute. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, Josh, Josh hit us with another one. All right. Well, let's let's go uh, maybe even more formative, but in a different way. I, I don't know when I first saw Randall Kleiser's uh, Flight of the Navigator. And also, I didn't know Randall Kleiser also directed Grease, Honey Blew Up the Kid and Big Top Pee Wee. But um, Flight of the Navigator was a weird one, obscure one. Not many people have seen, uh, but it's a, a sci-fi uh, flick about a kid who essentially time travels, goes into different dimensions. There's Live, there's uh, practical effects and puppetry and um, uh, cool sci-fi stuff, but it that one hit me because I felt like that kid. I felt like th this kid's never going to get home and, and back to his family. And then the one instance where he did, he uh, his parents didn't know him because they were kind of in an alternate dimension. He'd like never been born or something. That would just like really hit me on on all right. sides. Yeah, that could be yeah, it was pretty fucked up um but that that one that one stuck with me but also you know the the uh i don't know memory of the kid walking into a, a room at like a space station seeing all these toys on the bed like hey you're this is your new home welcome you should feel safe here um it was terrifying but uh again i don't know there's just something about that um that production design that um that whole world that really hit me i think it was that formative year stuff you know um terrifying to think of myself in that in that position but it's uh it's one i think of often for some reason i think it was just uh weirdly dreadful like it was i think it was a disney movie but there's something kind of wonderfully dreadful about it like you're not you're never going to see your family again but at least you have this little alien puppet on a spaceship that <laughs> you know sounds like paul rubens um oh that's and, right uh, yes yes yeah, yes yeah. that's right peewee's shows up in it. i think they like yeah dance to you know wipe out or something um i don't know so that's a that pure eighties, pure. 80s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You lures <laughs> you in with the VHS and then you put yourself in their shoes and, uh, and have nightmares. And yet, you know, it's like this Disney classic for all children, you'll never return home again, but you'll be friends with the puppet, you know, um, which is pretty appealing yeah. to a lot of kids of a certain age. Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah. It's a lot like history of violence. You know, I, I think when I, <laughs> I, when kids, I see love that, that one, man, they just walk <laughs> yeah. into it. It's, uh, ah, the staircase. Yeah, no, it's, yep. um, you know, it's, uh, that one, that one is, uh, I'm terrified to revisit it. And I'm supposed to do like a podcast where we just talk about that one scarred for life. And I don't think I can, uh, Seriously? I don't memory, <laughs> you know, scarred for <laughs> life. That's what it's called. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, we had, not we to had, plug, uh, you know, uh, no, no, I appreciate it. We had, um, Larry Fessenden on a while ago and he talked about, remember Joe, he talked about how he had a shelf uh, of movies that he had seen once and never wanted to see again, but he would buy them on uh, DVD and Blu-ray just to keep them alive. But he doesn't want to, he's, he's afraid that if he, he won't re-experience them the same way that he did the first time he saw them. And yeah. I, I have, I have a few in my, in my 
life that I just don't, that I thought were great, but I don't want to revisit because I, I'm afraid they we, won't hit me that way. What's, yeah. what's one of those for you? I, well, I mean, one, I of the, one of those for me is uh, John Huston's last movie, The Dead, which uh, I found inextricably moving when I saw it uh, in the theater. And, uh, and I, I, I don't, I remember that feeling and I've seldom felt that way at the end of a movie. And I just thought, I, I don't want to watch this again and not have that feeling. So I was afraid maybe I wouldn't. Oh. So I haven't watched it. Wow. Yeah, I don't want to corrupt the memory. Yeah, I kind of feel that way. This is probably the only one I feel that way about and I'm reluctant to. But it's an interesting thing because you know it so deeply impacted you. Um, I mean, me for different reasons. As a kid, I think I probably wore the tape into the ground. But uh, there's something about, I think I'm scared, weirdly scared. I think I'm honestly scared. They're scared to revisit. There's one other very obscure film not many people know called uh, The Peanut Butter Solution. Oh, sure. About a kid who, yeah, that was, it's like a kinder trauma film about a kid who sees a ghost, all of his hair falls out. He develops a solution out of peanut butter. He rubs his child bald head with it and he grows long hair. And it's like so oddly terrifying, but it really deeply affected me. And I don't want to revisit it and become unscared uh, or uh, undo that, you know, wonderful inspirational trauma. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like didn't somebody? I feel like somebody just recently released it on on like a big deluxe Blu-ray too. So um, I wouldn't dare. No. <laughs> yeah, mine was after talking to Fessenden. I I went online and I got there's a British. Uh, I think it's uh, Indicator did a you know fully restored box set Blu-ray of Irreversible, but they also include a new cut. Wow. Gaspar Noe has put it in you know in uh, consecutive sequence instead of backwards. And uh, I ordered it. <laughs> that and must I, be illuminating. And I put it on a shelf, <laughs> and I'm just like, it's a beautiful looking package, and I will probably never even take the plastic off of it, but because I don't know if I could take that movie again. Yeah, that's <laughs> or, a, that's the thing. <laughs> I feel that way about irreversible. I don't, I you know, just kind of knowing enough about it. There's another one that just came out called Hunter Hunter, where they're like, you will never unsee this fucked up. You know, human beings get skinned scene, or you know, movies like. Uh, um oh gosh man bites dog yeah yeah yeah. you know there's just stuff right i don't i don't need to i don't need to go there there again (laughs) yeah yeah human centipede i'm good you know uh yeah but um uh serbian film so i was about to say serbian film which to this day i'm still terrified because somehow i got a hold of a screener before it came out the director i guess um uh was very excited that i want to see it because it was short i don't know he'd been a fan of history and I have a DVD and it's got my name on it, like on the screen. And it's just absolutely terrifying to me that the guy who made that film knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we'll have him on the show someday. That'll be fun. Um, what, what, what next, Josh? Oh, well, uh, let's, let's ch- change the tune a little bit. This one, this is a rewatch. It's a little lighter note. Dare I get lighter than a Disney film that um, traumatized me as a child, but Every Thanksgiving, I have to watch John Candy and Steve Martin um, trek back to Chicago and planes, trains, and automobiles. That was, uh, I think, for Edie McClurg alone, um, you know, (laughs) just kind of listening to Steve Martin's monologue. But that John Hughes, I mean, just doesn't, you just feel it. You smell the turkey. You feel how dirty you are. You can, like, uh, uh, you feel intimidated by Dylan Baker. I don't know. And um, uh, feel bad for his wife. Uh, You know, he's pregnant, but will pick up the trunk. Um, uh, that is, uh, that's a forever rewatch for me. I just can't, who can get enough of it? That's a great movie. Yeah. Well, it's good because it's on all the time. 
Yeah. It's on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's on all the time. I'm sure you know Steve probably bought a great A-frame or townhouse or three from the holiday residuals alone. And now uh, paintings. Think, he he buy he buys paintings. Right. That's right. Yeah. Good Matisse. Um, but uh I can't help but think too, watching it and just how wonderfully dramatic John Candy can uh, be and gets yeah. and verse. I mean, he would he would have if he were alive today. I think about it a lot his Bill Murray moment. He would he would have his lost in translation turn, right? Yeah, well, he was a really good actor. I mean, yeah. Even his part of JFK, you know, I mean, this, this guy if he if he had not <laughs> ended his career, uh, he would still be a, a, he would have been character actor up to his you know to his eighties because he was just really a talented guy. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't get better. I mean, you know, polka polka polka. Um, well, that's Home Alone, but you know, still, yeah, it's uh, can't help but can't help but but go there thinking about all those guys. I mean, even two people who've you know left us all too early, like like uh, Phil Hartman would have had a similar, I think, trajectory. I think I we agree. would have seen his his total Oscar nommed Oscar, you know, turn his you know indie spirit turn. I don't sure. know if you've ever seen the Second Civil War. Uh, which is a picture I made for HBO where he plays the president and he's completely, no. he's completely so straight. In fact, he's the villain. Uh, and he's really, really great. And I, I, I used him again at small soldiers and I thought, well, this is great. Now, now yeah. I've got another member for my stock company and you know, his wife thought otherwise apparently. And uh, so he's mm. not around anymore, but uh, oh, he was a, so he tragic. Was a, a I mean, that's guy. a thing. I was that, well, that's the thing everybody said about him and that's, it's Joe, you touch on something. I know both of you, know about but it's your stock company thing and as a director working the people with the people who are willing to be malleable and are good team you know uh teammates you know maybe don't uh, uh carry a piece on them or lean too far in one political direction on the spectrum um to disrupt a good time on set but you you know it that's a it's a really wonderful thing to uh amass those people you know are kind of down to do the thing and are as versatile too like and yeah. and to be a great person that's that's a that's a wonderful thing give us another one these are great okay good well fred decker made a real hit for me i think just color color palette alone monster squad i know back to the vhs palette um, this one was, uh, this was a massive favorite for me. Uh, Matt Rose did special effects, John Rosengrant, Bradford May shot it. Um, I was the only, you know, the only kids movie I saw where, where a Dracula picks up a six-year-old girl by the throat and says, give me the amulet, you bitch, like into her face. But I think it was a controversial, <laughs> it, was, it was a controversial PG-13, but that one, that one hit me on uh, all sides. I, I actually showed the lensing and the specific color of green that was uplighting Dracula to my mm. cinematographer for werewolves within and said, that's a green I want. I want to see that green in the movie. It's like, okay, okay. We'll call it monster squad green. Um, so had you, you know, had you seen any of the uh, universals before that? Oh God. I mean, uh, far too formative uh, for them really to hit me out. When I grew up, I was more of a hammer film. Like I, I came up on like the Christopher Lee vampire Mm-hmm. Um, uh, less so than the universals. So, so my, probably my intro to the old universals was my intro was this homage film basically. So, um, uh, that's, uh, that's something I'd love to go back to just kind of devour the James whale of it all. 
We'll have to uh, cut that bit about um, Monster Squad Green because Fred is just one of the most miserable, mean-spirited, litigious bastards you'll ever meet. And he'll hear that and he'll come after you with his team of lawyers. They're just awful. He's no! A, I guarantee that bad? Yes, no, he's not. He's a dear friend of the show. And uh, he's been on and he, he will hear this and he'll call me up and yell at me for saying that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. We made me feel made me feel a little bit better because Fred Deck, he's responsible for, you know, I mean, uh, that one, that one is as really, really affected me. And that was that was like the first movie, you know, I think probably even before Goonies and ET and seeing kids in these kind of dramatic situations, um, seeing them in really, you know, uh, in real danger. I mean, and even too, and how kind of terrifying yeah. Tom Noonan was alone. Um, but the werewolf. Uh, in that film really, really messed me up because you saw his, uh, you saw the, the kind of the, the dread and trauma of him wrestling, what it really was. And so like in the phone booth, you, you just, as, as brief as that actor's work was, and those scenes were, they really, really hit that scared the hell out of me as a kid. And then, you know, at least the werewolf had nards and they can get out of that situation, but a great comedy horror that really yeah. hit and on an action level too. Um, it was just shot. What's insane is Fred, what was he like 15 or something when he made that show? It's ridiculous. He was pretty, he was pretty young. And, and, uh, and I, 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 I think the, uh, the offer, they offered the idea to universal and they passed. Oh, that's right. Wow. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, yeah. that's why I had to do all the new, uh, any, any, there's a, there's a pretty good simulacrum of uh, the creature of the black lagoon in that picture. Yeah, that's right. You that's know? right. It's a wonderful, um, a wonderful suit. Yeah. Really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrific film. But yeah, yeah, and Fred, I know you're listening. You, you should, I had him going. The look on Josh's face for about five seconds. He actually. Oh God! Thank God you're so. wonderful. Thank God you're wonderful. <laughs> he listens more. to the show. He's a fan. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Hi, you affected me. <laughs> Fred is Josh. Josh, Fred. Hi, um, bud. <laughs> Do people say bud in Hollywood, and is it just condescending? Yeah, hey, no, Fred, how are you, bud? That, it's that pal. I think we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't have him right now. Hi, pal. That's what agents say. Well, we don't have him. We don't have Fred right now. That's right. Have? That's yeah. Right. Uh, so what's next? God, are we at, are we at five already? We had one. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, well, I guess uh, this is this is an integral run. Uh, Albert Brooks, Defending Your Life. This is a rewatch. It's one of made probably one of the first films other than Sugarland Express that made me cry as a as a kid. Um, really? I love this movie. Yeah. As a kid. As a kid, me, as a kid, taps into some fairly adult sort of ideas. Because you know, it's sort of a it's sort of a movie about you know your your, your life and what you've done, and now you're going to be judged for it, and and you have to have had a whole life before that. But but for a kid who hasn't really probably had that much experience, uh, it's kind of well, hard to tap into that drama. It seems. Yeah, I'm sort of amazed. Well, you you know what the specific moment is? It's really one moment. And it's um, it's when he's I, I this it's so beautiful because I think it's when the prosecutors tee him up uh, for a scene where maybe I can't remember specifically maybe it was Rip Torn, his his lawyer, who uh, teed him up for the moment where he was brave. You know, it's all about seeing Albert Brooks. You know, his character, the moments where he actually um, exuded or enacted bravery in his life, and it was a scene when his parents were fighting and he was a baby in a crib and the dad, he was watching his father about to, to take a hand to his mom and the baby interrupted the, uh, uh, 
what what you know the the what was about to happen what, you know which which you obviously never see but they you know the the father catches the baby's um the baby's uh, eyes and the the way the performance from this like this infant in the crib kills me every time i mean it's a surefire way to just get a lump in my throat and i think it actually got me as a got me as a kid i don't know i guess i had that refined uh burbs flight of navigator monster squad taste to get me to the place to cry <laughs> when the baby would distract <laughs> you know i didn't come in here talking about like you know breathless and um you know bridge on the river quiet it's like oh you see that vhs movie um, more well, that's because Bridge of the River Quiet doesn't look so good on VHS. Yeah. That, there, there are better ways <laughs> to see it. That was a Betamax, uh, Betamax, but, um, but uh, I think that was the moment specifically that got me. And then, you know, the humor, Albert Brooks just had something just so watchable, weirdly, whether it was, you know, hair like a poodle or the way that he sung um, <laughs> the togas and he just great physical comedy. And then the, the later, you know, the more I'd rewatch it, even, I mean, all films, even how, you know, even with Jaws, I rewatch that and just pick up on something new sort of every time. Um, uh, picking up more and more kind of as I'd go, I mean, even just the fact you could think about stuff like you can eat as much as you want and never gain weight, you know, look at this uh, wonderful <laughs> scenario. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think that's a beautiful film. And weirdly, Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks can play my mom and dad. They look, they look like the young, uh, young yeah. versions of them. Interesting. Interesting. Have you seen, uh, I'm assuming you've seen Drive. Oh, yeah. I mean, God, what a yeah. cool thing. What a yeah. cool thing to hand a comedic actor something that terrifying. And then he shaved favorite. off his eyebrows. And that's pretty much all he needed to do. He's so frightening in that film. Just... Yeah. Mark Marin just uh, tweeted at him and said, I think it's time you and I talk. He's trying to get him for an interview. I would love to hear any story, any kind of retrospect. I mean, I know he's got a book out and everything, but uh, I would just, I'd love to pick his brain. What a, what a, uh, what a talent. Yeah. Oh, so he's never been on Marin. Joe, we should get him before Marin does. <laughs> Better. <laughs> don't you, you do have some, you have some connection there, don't you? Archie? Well, I, I, I used to know him a long time ago, but uh, I haven't seen him quite a while. Time for a reunion. We got to beat Marin. We got to scoop Marin. That would be amazing. <laughs> Marin yeah, this kinda... He's a big star now. No, no, I'm just saying. We'll, we'll, we'll get him first. Uh, um. Yeah, it does kind of feel like he went a little. I mean, I, I'm only, I'm projecting, but you know, went a little hermity. Like had his his decades. And I was like, I'm I'm good. I think I'm gonna write. You know, in Santa Monica for a bit, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Well, he was always very picky about what he did. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. he would he would he would gestate things for a long time and and. Uh, He's made very few movies, and in fact, for somebody who, you know, has been in the business as long as he has. But, um, but he's—I always thought he was hilarious. I mean, modern in modern romance, when he takes when he's oh. stoned and he takes the phone calls and makes believe he's writing things down, even though he's alone, <laughs> and his, his mom or something is talking to him, and he, he does he does the the hand gesture as if he's actually writing. It's just so oh, I, I mean, too, that was it broadcast news. It was the, uh, the, 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 the drunk scene. I've never seen, I've seen only a few actors do drunk as well as him. Just getting drunker and drunker and talking to the television. And it was just, and, and back to defending your life. I mean, the way he drove and sang Barbara Streisand, you know, could be, who knows, and <laughs> swerving in traffic. And he made that, I mean, as a, you know, whatever, a 10-year-old, I was watching it, like laughing on the floor of my living room. You know, what can I say? Fantastic. And, uh, and yet all of these things inform your movie. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, 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 
I, I keep mentioning uh, Frank Marshall's arachnophobia. You know, shit hits the fan, a small town. That one really, really hit me too. I think that's a little more direct in this case. Obviously, Jaws was formative to me and the work of Edgar Wright and the Coen brothers. That irreverence is great. If you can combine any of it, you know, um, that'd be wonderful. But the mission is script. The words leapt off the page. The world felt very Coensy. It felt very uh, arachnophobia was the first thing I thought of when I opened Werewolves Within. I said, "This is, I see, uh, you know, something similarly relatably hilarious as you know Jeff Daniels arguing what Bordeaux to throw at the giant spider, um, as I did with you know like these characters <laughs> taking on a creature in the dark. How wonderful! How it's just so so funny and so." Uh, Oddly grounded, you know, yeah. even though Delbert came along. Yeah, yeah. No, that is that is a similarity too. As well, try to see that, it in a theater because yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, an audience participation is, you know, just adds so much to a picture like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, when people around you who you don't know in the dark are laughing at the same things you are, and it's very bonding. And um, you know, God knows we've had few enough chances in the past year to be able to experience that kind of thing and even now there's lots thing. of places that you can't i mean in hollywood there's almost no theaters open at all uh yeah but, all right there are things on the on the outlights i mean well the arc light isn't i think the arc light is going to come back because it's just mm-hmm. too expensive to tear down but it isn't it isn't going to be the arc light it's going to probably be an amc and they're probably going to start running commercials and doing all the things oh. that the other places do because it, uh, that we, we didn't i don't think we appreciated it when we had it what do we what do we have to do to at least get the popcorn back yeah i don't know where yeah. they got their popcorn but that's that's by far the best popcorn in la but of course this is not an la centric show so we are talking to people beyond our, <laughs> our shores here so this, you know just griping about our current problems with exhibition is probably not a good idea i know especially the states who were like nothing what happened Nothing ever happened. Yeah, right, We've been yeah. living life, uh, <laughs> living life in our bubble. Uh, anyway, you want to spit on each other? Um, we'll just keep talking close uh, in this bar. Um, yeah, no, uh, it, I, I'm. It's a really beautiful thing. You know, we've kind of been. I, my first feature came out was derailed entirely by by COVID. You know, the opportunity. The first thing they said, Shutter said about my first film, scare me was, "We're great. We're gonna have a week at the ArcLight in in July." And I said, oh. "Yes." bucket list and then it was like uh, bad news uh, uh yeah there's something happening and you're not um, alone obviously yeah yeah of course and what a beautiful thing that now you know at least i think it's still going to be a minute i think folks are still traumatized unfortunately and we're all schlepping to the theater with the masks on um for those of us who've gone i haven't done it yet but um you know i i'm i'm thrilled to go to tribeca and hear people yeah. you know be outside at a pier and you know hearing steamboats go by and stuff i'm i'll be <laughs> i'll be through you know it'll be, be a crowd thrilled. though it'll be a crowd yeah, yeah man got, joe and i were supposed to spend last year uh flying around the country going to film festivals and doing the show live and uh, uh that, that was didn't, that didn't pan out that would have been fun <laughs> or, uh, but anyway uh yes. josh thanks a lot thank you for coming oh my on, gosh you kidding it's me it's an absolute it's a it's a total pleasure thank you for having us thanks for watching the movie and uh, and having having both of us yes and um yeah no good luck with it uh and seriously folks see it if you can in a theater because it's uh it's the best way to see it and um if you can't it'll be um it'll be on uh, vod in about a week um highly recommended werewolves within lots of fun we've been talking to the director josh rubin and i love saying this can i say this will be our first time joe you're right do you want to say it 
We'll be back in a minute, but now a word from our sponsors. (laughs) We have a sponsor. We have a sponsor now. So we just want to pause for a minute and thank our sponsors, MoviesUnlimited.com, who are proudly showcasing women in film all through the month of July. You're going to find many or even all of the movies we talk about in our conversation today with Josh and Mishnah on their site, as well as plenty of other great and hard-to-find titles. And let's be clear, if you can't find it there, it probably doesn't exist. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's a ton of great content and bonus features like director's commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodies that you don't get elsewhere. They're great. In fact, they're um, uh, when I was growing up in Philadelphia, we would get the Movies Unlimited uh, catalog because they're from Philly and they're still putting it out. It's this big, giant phone book size thing that has like every movie that's out on video. It's fantastic. So buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com. You're going to find classics, imports, hard to find films, and of course, tons of new releases. Seriously, they do imports. They do stuff with other regions. They're, they're great. It's a great resource. Prices are fantastic. The choices are endless. Own all the titles you love and enjoy all the bonus features that you just don't get elsewhere. So if you want to own your own experience, click the Movies Unlimited banner on your on our website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. So feel free to spend lots of money. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Joe, Mishnah, Mishnah. It's Joe. nice to meet you, Joe. I'm a huge fan. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's actually mind blowing. So uh, I'm, I'm going to try and uh, not fanboy out here a little bit. But um, I'm assuming the only reason she's not fanboying over me is 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 we've met. <laughs> that I'm sure is that's the only, the only reason. reason. It's the only or, reason. Or it could be your haircut. Could, my yeah. haircut's. I cut my own You're, hair. I like your haircut. I did it myself. It looks fantastic. Thank you. I got. I uh, I started doing that during quarantine, and it's uh, it's uh, it's very liberating. And think of the money he's saving. I don't recommend it for anybody who actually has hair longer than a quarter of an inch, because then you get into styling, and I think that's <laughs> that's where training comes in. But uh, yes, well, okay. I've been. I'm getting my first good haircut. I'm getting my hair done for the first time on Friday. I'm kind of. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's a milestone. A, it is. It is. Very, very exciting. So tell me, how uh, how did you go about uh, adapting a video game into uh, a movie? Um, well, uh, very irreverently, I think is the answer. Uh, I, I, I wound up uh, at a general at Ubisoft, and they told me about this women's fellowship that they do, where basically you get access to their catalog and you get paid to pitch. And uh, I was like, paid to pitch? <laughs> Sign me up. Who ever heard of such a thing? Um, so, yeah, but for me, it was really the access to all the IP they have. They have some really great titles. And um, when I looked at it, there were other titles that I thought I was going to really get into. And for some reason, the werewolves game kept me up at night. I just, I, I kept math- masticating these characters and, you know, building a little world around them. And, you know, it was right around the time there was like a lot of Russian bots going on. And um, 
it seemed like a, a really fun way to play with sort of a lot of themes that were interesting to me. And, you know, I like a good comedic ensemble. I thought it would just be a great uh, stage for that. Well, one of the nice things about the movie is that you can't tell it was a video game. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Yeah, you really um, can't. Um, I can't imagine what the video game would be like. It's, it's a, lot of, uh, a lot of character stuff. Um, oh, I think who's the werewolf, isn't that? And a, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the video game is, you know, uh, a few people sitting around a fire trying to smoke out the wolf. And, uh, and I feel like I really actually brought the essence of the game to the movie. I mean, the, the, central, the central character of that movie is really, you know, the suspicion around the fireplace. So, um, you know, that's what I felt like I had to honor. And other than that, uh, everything was up for grabs. So... Well, it's a, it's a ton of fun, and you've got a great cast. Um, and oh my God, the two leads are uh, Sam Richardson and Milena Vaintrub. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Vaintrub. Vaintrub um, are are uh, they're, well, they're, they're, they're they carry the movie. They're just they, amazing. Yeah, yeah, they had really good chemistry. I was I was tickled by their chemistry. They they seem they're they're friends in IRL. Um, oh, they, I was hoping they hated each other. I love, I love when you see that stuff and it turns out they, they hated each other. That's all. I actually do too. I, I prefer it if, as soon as they get off set, they, you know, uh, you know. Yes. Yeah. The old Sam and Dave thing. You know, Sam and Dave toured for 25 years, didn't talk to each other. I didn't know that. No. Yes. But, well, um, Martin and Lewis, Abbott and Costello. And that's, yeah, and yeah. They, but you can never tell when you see them working. No, you can't. I didn't know that about Martin and Lewis, though. Uh, oh, yeah, they weren't speaking for the last five years of their, their connection. That's so funny. Uh, anyway. Anyway, yes. Anyway. Um, uh, but no, thanks, thanks for coming on. Can I, can I tell our story, Mishta? Is that all right? Sure. Um, <laughs> do you know our story, Joe? Does it involve the backseat of a car? Uh, no. Good. <laughs> God. I don't know. Good. <laughs> God. Eight million stories in the naked suit. The uh, the uh, <laughs> no, I was I was um uh, uh, how best say if I if I were not um a judgmental arrogant ass uh, I would not be um where where I am now or talking to the people I'm talking to right now I would say I I remember I would agree uh, <laughs> you do uh, not. <laughs> I was standing in line I was stuck on a script and I was standing in line at a coffee shop called the Bourgeois Pig. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in Hollywood and near my, near my then home. Um, and I was talking to a friend and I was laughing at all these guys, mostly guys with laptops sitting at the tables working on their screenplays. I was like, what a bunch of posers. And my friend posed a very simple question. She said, what if they're getting work done? And <laughs> I had been having a hard time. I sort of blocked for a while and I thought, oh, I don't know what it is. So I went there one day, one morning with my laptop. And I actually got a ton of work done. And for the next several years, uh, that became my, my writing space. I would go in. It's the only coffee shop in America, I think, that opens at 8 a.m. Everybody's open at 5. But I would come in at 8 o'clock every morning just as they opened. So I would get the one seat I could sit at that, that where no one could lurk over my shoulder. And I sat at this table and I wrote for years. And I wrote a script that I sold to, uh, to Paramount. And I, I wrote History of Violence there and a ton of other stuff. And what slowly started happening is a tiny little community of other writers started. There were like three other seats and just the same people would start sitting there. And, you know, when you've been sitting across a table from someone for, I don't know what, nine months, 10 months. Yeah. We didn't talk at all. That was part of the rules of the table. Sooner or later, sooner or later you have to go like, Hey, how's it going? 
<laughs> and um, uh, Mishnu was one of our, our tiny little ensemble and we, we got to know each other. She was, she was wonderful. Um, but, and she also uh, wrote a book. Um, it's, a, it's a memoir about uh, growing up with a very interesting father called I'm Down, which um, I, it, it, it's such a joy when your friends who are, have not published or produced anything yet get their first thing and you sit there and there's that anxiety and then you read it. It's like, oh, thank God, it's good. It's a really good book. Um, so that, that was a relief. <laughs> That's very sweet. I, I actually, I actually thanked Josh, uh, in that book. I think, I think you were my, Oh, in the, Oh, wow. Okay. I think I did give you a little, a shout out there in my opening. Cause you know, I, I it meant a lot to me to be at that table. Well, it was a, it was a fun table, but, uh, it still worked out. It was such a kick. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're okay. We made some films. This is good. We done all right. Uh, yeah. We made some pictures. Um, Got a so week of Paramount. It was, it was such a kick when this movie came across the transom, and um, uh, I was like, "Oh, I'll check that out." And and your credit just popped up. I had no idea what anything to do with it. And there's me. I was like, "Oh, fantastic!" It's, it's fantastic. It's actually an homage to Infested. Ah! <laughs> And how many people can say that? I say we've got like a, at least a third of the entire audience for investing right here, right now. My wife oh, is still not seen it. My wife Nancy is still not seen it. Really? She she doesn't do horror films. Okay. Uh, he's he's afraid she'll leave him. No, she. Well, no, we had just started dating. Don't worry, we'll get to you. This is about you. That's okay. It's okay. I got time. We had literally just started dating, and for some reason, I think had I no, I've been doing trailers from hell for a while. But I decided to do a screening. I invited Joe, I think McGarris, and, and it, was a whole, it was a whole bunch of like trailers from hell folks. So I was like, come on down to the house and, and see my stupid movie. And, and I invited Nancy. We had only been dating for a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. And, and I think her thing, she, she now cops to it. She was like, I didn't want to be sitting there. And, and like, what if the movie's terrible? And, and so she didn't come. And uh, uh, I still have not been able to convince her it's not a scary movie. It's like, she'll, she thinks I'm waiting to trick her. But, <laughs> well, we'll get there someday. But uh, but anyway, yes. And Joe is look forward to. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, I don't know how you. Oh, yeah. You like. Thank you. Thank you for liking my movie. Um, I liked yours. Well, thank uh, you. It really is. It's, it's just it is. Uh, these are all terrible words to say about a horror, horror film. Um, it's charming. It's delightful. It's very funny. Um, it's got a lovely. I don't want to say romance, but there is, there's some great chemistry between these two leads that um, uh, starts, starts to go in an interesting direction. And uh, that's. Thank you. I always wanted to set a rom-com or against the backdrop of uh, Vermont and in the winter. Yeah, bunch of killings. Bunch of killings. Maybe yeah. a, maybe a werewolf. Exactly. But um, no, when I saw that and I was like, ah, you know what? I know we can get Mishna. <laughs> oh yeah I, I, I was I, I was I was very hard to get I, I love when we don't have to go through PR people That's <laughs> but um yeah so it's just like sort of an excuse to to grab you drag you into the show and make you talk to us about the movies that uh, have inspired you oh well it's you know any excuse I think when my book came out someone off asked me to write a playlist and I was like Oh my God, I've been waiting my whole life for someone to ask me to write a playlist. It's not something anyone ever asks you for is your playlist. Right. In fact, people ask you not to share your playlist. So um, this is kind of the same thing, isn't it? It's just like, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful exercise. Yeah, well, we like, we like to think so. 
We like to think so. Although it can be, it can be grueling for some, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, it wasn't for me because I, it was an excuse to watch the movies I hadn't watched in a while, which is oh, yeah. fun. always good. Yeah. Always, always good. good. So, always oh, good. Great. So what did you, uh, what, what, what did you come up with? Yeah. Well, I thought we'd play a little game called find the woman. Awesome. Um, which is like kind of how I started my career. I feel like um, when I grew up, I was telling you, like in my house, there was always, we had a VHS player and there was always like either a Bruce Lee movie on or um, something with Fred Williamson. So, <laughs> um, and, um, and so I got really used to life or death stakes as a kid growing up. And I feel like male movies really have life or death stakes and female movies really don't tend to have life or death sex, at least when I was growing up, that's changing now. Um, so it was really, I was always really tickled when I saw a movie with life or death stakes with a woman sent in, in some central role to the movie. So, um, so I really, one of the, the, my seminal moments was seeing Deborah Hill's credits on John Carpenter movies. Um, that was just um, such a delight for me. Um, I spent a lot of time looking at her name, thinking like, who is this Deborah Hill? And how does she know how to, you know, write for, you know, um, write for um, Kurt Russell so well? Um, and um, so it was always just like when her name would pop up and, you know, I, I didn't I didn't know what any of these jobs were. I didn't know what a co-writer was and I didn't know what a producer did, but it, it was just I knew she was important. Um, to the movie. And I knew she sat down in a room with John Carpenter and talked story. And that was something that felt like, like, I feel like my generation of women, and I'm just at the tail end of Gen X. I was born in 78. So my generation of women did not necessarily think they could be Tom Wolf. They thought maybe they could get Tom Wolf's coffee. Um, so it was like kind of a big deal to see these, these names pop up. Um, and the other, the next movie, um, I guess I didn't really name a movie. So let's just throw out Halloween. You know, that's a seminal Deborah Hill work. And did you ever, did you ever, um, I mean, did you ever learn about her more or is it just a. I know her credits. I know she's not with us anymore. Um, you know, but that's about all I know. She's just this sort of magnificent icon in my pantheon of female trading cards in old Hollywood. Um, so <laughs> Deborah was a, was a, was a, was a, a great person and, uh, very, um, uh, very savvy and, um, uh, a, a terrific producer and yeah. uh, did not, was not held back by the fact that she was, you know, a Deborah and not a Don, you know, that's what I would think based on her credits. And she did really fun movies. I mean, she did extremely fun movies that were you know, high stakes and a good time. And you knew if you went into the theater, you were going to come out being like, yeah, I'm glad I spent two hours on that. Um, so she was just like a real, I don't know. She's a name that, that stuck out for me. Um, another one was, uh, and I'm not playing the game the way I set it up, but I'm going to throw out a movie. Fast times at Richmond high. Oh, that's yes. Um, <laughs> we, we know where the woman is there. Yeah. We know where the woman is there, but a lot of people think Cameron Crowe directed that movie. Oh, that's um, bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's really surprising when you tell people, no, Amy Heckerling directed that movie. Yeah. Um, and she brings a real female sensibility to it. So even though I feel like it's, it's a real kind of, I feel like it's a real, um, you know, seventies get laid 
kind of movie in, in its ways. Um, it, it's also got the, the female characters that are really dimensional and they're really kind of heartbreaking in their way. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee is, is unbelievable. Um, there, there are moments of close-ups in that movie that her, her face is just so, there's so much pathos in her face. And um, I feel like I definitely saw, uh, you know, a, a woman's point of view in that movie in a way that I, I could relate to. And, and it's funny and it's funny, you know, it's very funny. It's, yeah. you know, it's the seminal teen comedy. Yeah, and it's really got. I mean, she she really is the heart of that film too. I mean, because that that oh my god, her her sex scene in the baseball park um, oh on the field is is so gut wrenching. It's so gut wrenching, and it's, I feel like she also loves men. I mean, you know, I never get the feeling that she doesn't love men, and uh, you know, she, the the male characters. She's not there. It's not, you know, they're not uh, they're not poorly drawn either. They're yeah. you know, they're really. Uh, they're really dimensionalized and it's such a great comedy. Um, and she does such a great job with it. And I, and I of course love clueless too, which is. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, she's, she's marvelous. Yeah. I remember, you know, it's funny cause I saw, you know, I guess when it came out, so Cameron Crowe wasn't a director at that point, but I, yeah, I can see how in retrospect people would sort of lump that in with his films. Um, it was an interesting book. Did you ever read the book or Joe? No. It's because uh, it was a bit of a phenomenon when it came out because, you know, he went undercover in this high school class and um, uh, it was pretty scandalous stuff. But uh, I loved. Yeah, the film's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I heard the, I, the only thing I heard about it is that anecdote that there was a, a kid from the movie who was going to sue him and that he gifted that kid a signed Nancy Wilson guitar. <laughs> <laughs> to um to make it go away that's that the, was a that's good way the, to get out of a suit yes. yeah that's the story i heard so good, good good reason to be married to a rock star yeah i mean it doesn't hurt yeah um so the next one is the heartbreak kid oh wow the um the ben stiller film no, no. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you got me there josh you really did wow, wow. These, these jokes never get old um, they just you know, never it, do. It, the, the sad thing is that there, you could mention a number of pictures in this vein, and there there would be a remake. Yeah, because they were been, good. I know, and they were they were remade, and they aren't as good. <laughs> no, no, they weren't as good. I mean, if we can talk for a second about the late great Charles Grodin, uh, um, yeah. we can talk for more than a second. He's just he's so uncomfortable. He's so it's such a cringy movie. And I feel like Elaine May, because that's the hidden woman. Um, mm -hmm. She's not hidden. Her name's all over the credits. But, um, but she was inspirational to me. I listened to Nichols and May um, when I was doing stand-up for 10 years um, all the time and um, loved, love, love Elaine May. She really, uh, she always got the good punchlines. <laughs> and, um, and she just really seemed to understand what was great about Charles Grodin and, and, and really mined it for everything it was worth. He's so deliciously uncomfortable he's so deliciously uncomfortable in that movie and he stammers and he's around these goyish gentry that are so silent and sturdy and he's so the opposite of it and and it's just a great great time in the theater and and i, I just i always like and there's other elaine may i mean i i you know heaven can wait's a great elaine may movie but um, the heartbreak kid is one that sticks with me so much. Cause I just, 
I, I feel like Charles Grodin just nails that movie in such spectacular fashion. When I was going to summer camp at Woodstock, New York in 1961, they had the Woodstock Playhouse and Grodin was a member of the Playhouse. He must have been in his 20s. Oh my God. Uh, and I saw him in Abe Lincoln in Illinois and I saw him in Death of a Salesman. And he was the first actor that I ever saw um, spew up on, on the stage when, you know, when, when having a harangue with somebody that it would be so intense that he would start spraying other actors. I mean, uh, just saliva, not... No, just, you know, okay, people, yeah, not, sorry. You know, Whoa. in a non-COVID way. Right. Uh, but I, I, I remember that. I remember thinking, I, I don't know who this guy is, but I'll bet he goes somewhere. I'll bet he ends up as something. And I always had hoped that I would meet him so that I could tell him that I went back that far in his career, but I never got to meet him. It's that's it's it's interesting. Uh, I, there's so many like on that list of people to meet, you know, that, I, you know, it's like I, I'm never I, I had like a Ben Gazzara obsession for a long time. It's like, God, I just dying to meet Ben Gazzara, you know, and that never, never materialized. Oh, but wow. Well, that was you, a, you and uh, uh, so so have I have I told my Ben Gazzara story? Joe? No, <laughs> um, I several several years ago when Cine Family was still around. Um, I used to do, you know, I would host Q and A's and stuff with them. And I got a, it was a Cassavetes weekend they were doing, and and um, sure, as one they, does, they they called me up and, and it was like, hey, would you like to do a Q and A with Ben Gazzara? We're going to do Killing of a Chinese Bookie, and I caught to the that. fact that Gazzara, I would, Cassavetes is just sort of a blind spot in my education. I every now and then I try, and I'm like, it's not happening for me. I enjoyed that film, but I just didn't think I was going to be a very good person for it. So they went, well, we'll keep looking. And then they called me back a couple of days later and they said, okay, we've got someone who adores him, who's never done one of these. They'd be more comfortable if there was a moderator there to help just kind of handle the, the mechanics of it. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. That'll be fun. Who is it? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, as a child, had come to New York. His aunt had taken him to see Ben Gazzara. I think it was Death of a Salesman, maybe. And young Gary Oldman went, I want to be an actor. And oh my God. I, you know, I've done enough of these. I've been around like I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna sort of stage with these two guys. Gary Oldman came up on stage. He was so anxious about meeting Ben Gazzara. He was shaking. Oh my God. I could see <laughs> that amazing. though. It was I could amazing. see that. And it was he, just so fun just to sit there. All these two giants just had this amazing conversation. But yeah. Yeah, those are giants. Yeah. 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 No, he's he's incredible. But but Groden. Joe, did, did he ever, I mean, other stuff like, I mean, I, I would, I would not, you might say Rosemary's baby. I would, I would throw it out because. Well, it's not a big it, part, but he's, no, but it's he's, a dramatic he's film, terrific but he's, in it, but. Yeah, no, he's great in it, but it's like, has he ever played like a straight dramatic part? Cause there's something almost comically evil about him. In, in that well, weird. I'd say Midnight Run was a straight part. No, well, stop it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a not, comedy. It's, it's a comedy. It's a pretty serious comedy. It's, it is. It's a pretty serious comedy. <laughs> he's very, very funny in it. Like, I can't, when you, when you say you saw him in like a serious drama, I can't imagine him doing that because there was always something just like you can't figure it out, can you? Well, you should just see some of his early TV work. You know, he did yeah. a lot of uh, episodic stuff where, you know, he was the guest star, the guest murderer or whatever. And he was he played everything straight in those. I'm sure he was always good. I just, I don't know. He's so tainted for me in the best way because there's just something just off about him, so beautifully off in everything he did that, um, yeah, he's just, he's, he's riveting. Even when, you, when you're playing a character like Heartbreak Kid who's loathsome, he's also kind of weirdly, weirdly lovable. <laughs> Charming in his yeah. way. Yeah. 
He's delusional and we love delusional people. Yes, we, we keep electing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love delusional people. They're dreamers. Yes. Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. But uh, no, that's a good one. Uh, they're all good ones so far. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, so I guess another one would be, um, you know, I mean, Reservoir Dogs was a seminal movie for me because um, I went with my mom. Um, that's a, that's <laughs> an interesting choice. Well, oh, I was, mom. I was, I was, I think I was like 13 or 14 years old. And she walked out. She thought out. it was about dogs. She thought it was I think she a did. movie. <laughs> I saw everything in the theater and she came with me and she walked out of the movie and I stayed. And I remember thinking, you can do this with comedy? Like you can, because I thought it was hilarious and she thought it was horrible. She thought it was just so offensive. Um, and I just remembered tim roth on that upholstery bleeding out and screaming and the conversation he had with um oh i'm being such a space cadet today um the, the conversation he has with help me out josh Har uh, harvey Keitel. harvey Keitel driving the car yeah. and um it just it was like a kind of comedy that i felt like i mean without having to backtrack like i, I feel like i grew up around a lot of violence like not like you know not like a not like a normal screenwriter amount of violence. Um, and so I felt like um, I had, I, I sort of, I loved gallows humor um, and, and always had like this really soft spot for gallows humor. And um, it really sort of, it was refreshing to see something really embrace it. And it was the first thing I saw really embrace, you know, um, humor in the midst of extreme horror. Right. You know, I, I, since then I've seen Apocalypse Now and I've seen, you know, um, you know, um, you know, a, a million movies that sort of, you know, embrace gallows humor. I mean, I could probably watch Hateful Eight every day before breakfast, but. Well, who's the, who's the, uh, where'd you find the one? Sally Menke? Of course. Oh, okay, fine. The editor. Yes. Very important. Of course, important. you know, life or death stakes. You, you have to drill for these. Okay. You got yes. to bear with me when you're, when you're talking <laughs> movies with life or death stakes, you got to drill for the woman a little bit. That is true. That is true. And you're right. It is, it is changing. Thankfully. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, I, you know, I think my last one would be, um, even though I want to, I want to talk about lone wolf and cub a little bit before yeah. we get off. Sure. Um, because even though there were no women involved with the production of that at all, um, it was the, they incorporate a deadly female assassin into every single movie. Um, and I felt like that was a watershed for me to see a movie with, you know, and I'm not going to say a movie cause I watched like seven in a row. It was, a, you know, this is a binge. Um, so, but every time I watched, there was a, a woman in the movie who was lethal in her own special feminine way. Um, and, and it was like, you know, it was like, like the fun in this movie for me was inventing ways to kill someone in Vermont. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it wasn't no just like, it wasn't just like finding ways to kill people. It was like, uh, you know, syrup tap, you know, um, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of axes around. It's Vermont, uh, right. you know, fire poker. Everyone has, you know, I mean, they're, they're generic, but they're in their way, but they're also, you know, um, 
what's in the environment. And I feel like that's, that's a huge fun part of it. And for, part of the fun for me in, in the Lone Wolf and Cub movies is the, the killers all have their own sort of secret way of killing that you're like, Ooh, how is she going to kill someone? Um, and it's like, Oh, it's, it's the hat, you know, the hat is a shield and the umbrella, you know, it's, it's always a little unexpected. And in particular, there was, um, there was um, um, the assassin Oyuki, who -hmm. was played by Mishizuma and um, she was the tattooed woman. So yes. Yeah. I just watched that a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And she really, uh, she stuck out to me because um, she has a real story Mm -hmm. um, about, you know, vengeance and she's, you know, she was, you know, I love movies about revenge. I think they're, you know, I think it's such a great theme and I don't feel like I see revenge movies often enough or revenge stories. And I, I read the Count of Monte Cristo in school and was just like more of this, please. Can we have more of this? (laughs) So, um, seeing her with her, whatever five-year plan, uh, to kill this guy and sort of follow through on it all the way before she you know, ultimately dies. I don't spoiler alert, but she does die. Um, and how she just sort of makes herself into a weapon to do this thing, um, was a real whole story arc for her character. And, um, for me, it was like a really surprising, great, um, female story arc in a, in an otherwise, um, uh, you know, typical lone wolf and cub movie. If you want to uh, re- re-experience uh, those movies without having to actually watch all the different movies, you can. Uh, there's a movie called Shogun Assassin. Which, oh yeah. Uh, Josh did a uh, commentary for on Trailers from Hell, which is a a, a compendium, like a 90 well, minute compendium two. of it's the first two combined other movies. Yeah. Oh, I have not watched Shogun Assassin. I had they, no idea that's what it was. It's, it's all tricked up with different music, and you know, it's it was it was up. the first exposure I think most of us had over here because it played in theaters, and it's the first two Lone Wolf movies cut together. You know, a lot of stuff edited out and turned into this thing. And it had, uh, I can't, I used to remember, it had a very sort of of the era kind of Miami Vice-esque score to it that had been slapped on. It's nice. actually, it's a really cool film. <laughs> and then you find out after you see it, you know, if you got into it, it was like, oh my God, there's six of these and they're all actually better than this. So, uh, but it's fun if you're afraid to go back and watch that every now and then because they did some interesting stuff with it. Uh, but those, yeah, I, I love those movies. And there's now a beautiful Criterion set of them. Um, and, uh, uh, God, yeah, they're so, so, so cool. So cool. I just, I love the, the baby cart with the, you know, oh, it's awesome. The it's baby. like James Bond's Aston Martin, only it's a baby cart. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? The baby gets new ways of killing people too. It's not, yeah. he evolves as, as an assassin as well, which is fun yeah. as you know, a two-year-old can't do the same things a four-year-old could do. <laughs> it's what it's like before he's, he's pre-verbal. He's killing people. He's yeah, he is. And then, you know, he starts to be able to work the, the lever on the baby yeah. cart, Fire the you know, and... they get guns after a while That's and you right. can work the baby cart guns. It's adorable. Adorable. Um, yeah. They're, they're great films. Why uh, can't you stay small? I would say the same <laughs> actor and I can't remember where some of the directors um, to be avoided. I'm serious to be avoided unless you have a, let's say very uh, odd and kind of weird and awful taste. Um, they, he also started two movies about a character named Hanzo the razor, which is, do you know these, Joe? Hanzo the Razor. Hanzo the Razor. Yeah, it's it's um, it's kind of a similar conceit to Lone Wolf and Cub, except uh, it's sort of pornographic. That's that's oh. about all I'll say. 
but um, they're 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 pretty god awful. It's a lot of the same <laughs> people, including the star. It's sort of like you wonder where the where the magic went. Um, and also, if you're looking for revenge movies, uh, uh, the new Mads Mikkelsen film I just saw, Riders of Justice. I was telling Joe about it before on the air. It's, just, it's one of the best movies I've seen in years. Oh, is it fantastic? And it's, a, it's a great. Um, yeah, it's like you think it's going to be just another revenge movie, and boy, is it not! It's so good. Well, so I, good. I love some Mads Mikkelsen. I can't get enough of that guy. He's amazing. And his crazy eyes. Yes, yes, he is fantastic in it. So wait, yeah. so was that was that your last one, or that was an interstitial before you? Well, that was that was kind of. I think that was five. But, well, that's okay. That's um, I, I I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Thelma and Louise. Um, that's the one about the. Um, there's it's the some, one where the car goes over the cliff, right? <laughs> there's like a, there's a bar. I think two girls walk into a bar. It's these chicks. They go for a run. Yeah, it's a, it's a girl's trip. Yeah. It's like, it's like a girl's trip. How, how, um, did you see it in theaters when you were a kid? I did. And I remember being really surprised. Here, here's what was surprising to me about Thelma and Louise. It's like, usually in a movie, if, the stake, if the, if the wages of sin are death, right? If the wages of sin for your main characters are death, then they've done something irredeemable. And for these women, irredeemable is just like, you know, going on a girl's weekend, trying to have some fun and get away, right? That's their, their cardinal sin for which the wages of sin in this movie are death. Um, I do feel compelled to point out they do shoot a man, although let us point out. It's self-defense. It's a man who very much has it coming. This is not bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Correct. Right? These women do not cause the death of their girlfriend. They are, they just go off to have a good time. They defend each other from, they one defends the other one from a rape and the wages for that are death. Yep. And it's sort of, there's a little bit of a Francis Bean to that, I think. Um, that's, it's interesting to me. I love the movie and I love that they run off of the cliff at the end of the movie. Um, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite movie endings. Um, but it's just, it's interesting. It's just like, it, I'm just pointing out an interesting little thing about men and women. <laughs> so like the, <laughs> if you have fun on a weekend and you leave your husband, you got to die. Well, I will, I'm, I'm, you may know this and if not, I'll tell you something, it'll blow your mind. But, but I think, isn't that sort of um, because it was uh, what's her name, Carrie Corey, Kelly, yeah, Corey. Kelly Corey, what Kelly Corey Kelly was that not to some extent? I would think her point, don't you think? That I mean, it's not, I don't think she's embracing and um, endorsing that morality. I think she's sort of, no, no, but uh, um, it's 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 yeah, I think it is her point, and I think it's it's interesting, you know, um, you know, there there's there's a great female es- essayist named Korea Chicano. Um, who also writes for the New York Times. She had a book out recently called You Play the Girl. Um, and she talks a lot about rebellious female characters and how we have to take care of them, how they need to be, they usually get dealt punished. With. Yeah, they get dealt with. They get, yeah, it, in the it's the shining style, they get um, they get the discipline. Um, but it, it just how we we sort of feel the need just as in, as narrative storytellers to you know, uh, punish women for being a little crazy or, you know, living their truth in, in movies. That's enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you know about the original ending? 
I don't. Is there a different um, ending? Yeah, the um, the uh, uh, I mean, I think it looks great, but I'm, I'm told the, the the reason that that last shot is not a absolutely pitch perfect Ridley Scott framed beauty is yeah. they actually shot them. They drive off the cliff, and I'm tell me if I'm wrong, Joe. Do you know? And they land and drive away. And they tested it, I think, and it just didn't work. And they ended up just using that freeze frame. They it, they 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 land. Yeah, and they can drive away off of that kind of a fall. Yeah, I think the idea is that you've I think now, people you've just now entered magical realism. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe they felt like these women weren't suitably punished. Right. Yes. <laughs> now the story I heard was that they that they shot the car blowing up, and that people at the preview didn't like that. Oh. And so in order to mitigate that, they just decided to With a, cut it off in freeze frame. I, I I never heard the story that they drove away. That just I heard they doesn't seem like it would like it would it would track from the script that they would I think, could get away with it in the script. Yeah. I think the real question is how many cars did they go through? Yeah. <laughs> but it is there's something about that ending too. It's such a great um it's such a great last shot and it always reminds me, you know, and it's uh, how, however they did it, it was not the intended ending. Um it always reminds me of the ending of of uh, Butch and Sundance. Oh yeah. Same thing. It's like better movie. It really or what's a better movie? Thelma and Louise is a much better movie. Oh, thank you. Okay, good. Gosh. Thank you. Sundance is, a, yeah, yeah, Sundance yeah. Is, a, is an empty shell. I mean, I know, it's just, it's I a star I, I, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear you say that. We're not allowed I, to say that. Western. It's a really I mean, bad Western. It, it, I, I just, it feels like I, you know, I get it. Catherine Ross is beautiful. Yeah, not with that song over her. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, yeah, I've. I appreciate so, you so when you much. Meet other people who feel that way. It's um, oh come on. Next what? you'll be saying you don't like Forrest Gump. <laughs> I already know how Josh feels about Forrest Gump. So Joe feels the same. Um, feel the same. Uh, no, that's marvelous. Yeah, in fact, Nancy, I just watched The Sting the other day, and she was like, "Oh, we should watch Butch and Sundance." It's uh, she'd never seen it. She's like, "I hear that's really I'm like eh, no." We'll no, they it. could watch the the, watch the, 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 pre- the prequel with William Cat. They can watch that instead. That's right. <laughs> which is not, which is not terrible. Which is, which is a somewhat better movie than the movie. Yeah. Oh my, yes. <laughs> this Sorry, is where I, re- no, no, this is where I realize I'm in over my pay grade. I'm just like. <laughs> no, no, you did good. You know, we have a lot of people who, who are worried about coming on because they don't feel that they're semiotic enough, you know, and that they can't draw around the, the history of film history jargon. But that's not, that's never what we're looking for. We're just looking for how people relate to the art and and one of the reasons that makes us drawn to it you know even and we've had we've had some pretty bucky experiences watching movies let's face it but you know it always draws us back and then the lights go down it's always like you're in church and now it's the sermon is going to begin and maybe it'll be a good one maybe it'll refer to you so we just keep going but you know recently until recently we haven't been able to do that so you know hopefully we'll get back to it i hope so i mean i i feel like um my film and, and, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of your films, Joe and Josh, definitely History of Violence, they're, they're, they're uh, collective experiences. You want to have a collective experience with it. You want to be in a, a theater with people laughing. And-, and that's why people remember these movies. That's why they're classics. It's not because they all saw them on the late night show. It's because they originally appealed to people in droves, you know. And even now, even now revivals of movies, is, you know, from the 30s and 40s, they still pack theaters because they're, they're, just, they're just better with audiences. Well, I feel like I feel like I, I watched a lot of things not in the theaters because I was catching up with uh, I had to watch the entire 70s 
and um, and then get back to the black and white movies. And I had a lot of research to do. So and I was a latchkey kid from the time I was seven. I had a video card. So I was back and forth to the I had a I had a, a tenuous relationship with my parents and a very deep, committed relationship with my video store clerk. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and you weren't alone, I don't think. No, no I don't think should, so. Should be, should be mentioned. Um, uh, it's so well to say that because your film is um, playing in theaters. It is. It's going to so be in theaters. Remarkable. I know. Lucky you. God. I know. Yes. I feel very blessed. We've we have talked to a lot of people in the last year who you know. And, maybe, you know, we have not once mentioned the title of the movie. No, we have. Oh shoot! Where was it then? June twenty fifth. June twenty fifth. So it will have just opened uh, when you hear this, and um, uh, it is it is go delightful. see it in a theater. Fun. But it's nice because we've talked to a lot of people who made movies with the assumption they are going to be playing in theaters this past year, who have had to just deal with the fact that had to suck it up and realize they're going to be seeing them on TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm the opposite. I thought for sure this would only be on streamers, and it's going to have it's going to have a li- it'll have a little run. It'll have a little run. I'll have a collective. There'll be a there'll be a chance to laugh with your friends because well, it is a funny place, movie. That's the place to see it. Yeah, this is definitely a movie to see with a crowd. It's a ton of fun. And um, Mishna Wolf, the screenwriter of Werewolves Within, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Thanks. helping us find the women. Thanks, you guys. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.